good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning, sunshine and brightly. And uh, it's not nearly as cold as it looks out there, for which we're happy. Do we have any birthdays this week? Jim has one. Marvin has one. Anybody else? Happy birthday to you. Anniversaries. No anniversaries. We got one? Happy anniversary to you. No, not missing, just AWOL. <laughs> no, they're down, uh, down at Memphis showing them what good dulcimer music sounds like. Ah. Next week, they will be here showing us what good dulcimer music sounds like. Praise mm -hmm. the Lord. Uh, Six-man quartet going to meet after the service this morning. Uh, we've got one more week to practice for the uh, Monday Thursday service. Monthly business meeting tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock, or maybe a little later if I don't get out of the doctor's office in time. And um, a week from Monday, the 11th, uh, we'll be hosting the area uh, men's fellowship meeting. Uh, there won't be a meal this uh, this time, but we'll, uh, we'll start the program at 7.30. Uh, Mitch, we've got something going on this afternoon here in town. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, uh, in, in preparation to the National Day of Prayer and because Easter's coming up, we're having a prayer, time of prayer for the community, for the county. There's three different locations where they're going to meet. Right here in Lexington, we're going to meet down at the ballpark at 2 o'clock. Tim Mohan and myself will be leading the, the prayers, but uh, my understanding is is that there's going to be four prayers that are led, and then after that, uh, everyone will be invited to break into small groups and pray together. So uh, if you can, come out and uh, pray this afternoon at 2 o'clock, and we should still have plenty of time to get back here in time for our class. So, Okay, thank you, Mitch. Well, let's... Uh... Let's stand and praise the Lord. Attitude check. Praise, praise the Lord. All right. Let's turn to number 429. Jesus is Lord of all.
Jesus is Lord of all. And we'll hear Amen. later about uh, how he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's turn now to number 499. I will serve thee because I love thee. I will Our Father in God, we are so grateful, Lord, for your many, many blessings. But above all, we are grateful, Jesus, that you went to the cross to pay a debt that we could not pay to receive eternal life, which we could not earn. Lord, without you, we are nothing. But we are grateful to know that with you, all things are possible. Let us fall into some of those all things this morning as you present yourself to us and we receive you. We receive your love and we return it to you and to one another. Bless us in Jesus' name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Mike Higgins has our uh, communion meditation this morning. Are we all saying hmm? I believe we are, yes. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's. Near the cross.
Now, Brother Mike, we bring it to meditation. Carrying my glasses with me. They're new and I ain't used to them yet, and I don't want to fall down coming up. <laughs> Entitled the reading this morning is called The Blood Supply. I saw a friend at church recently whom I had not seen for a while. I asked how things were going and he shared with me that his eight-year-old daughter had just been diagnosed with a blood disease that would require transfusions and a bone marrow transplant. This, his grief and anxiety was inevitable as we talked. He decided to come to a class with me that evening, and at the end of that of the hour, we were preparing to pray for my friend, and one member of the class asked if there was a particular blood type that would be needed. The father of this little girl made an appeal for all of us to donate blood because it wasn't just his daughter that, that had needs. It was apparently that this immediate crisis had sensitized him to the ongoing need of blood donations. We hear those appeals from the Red Cross on a regular basis. We know the need is there, but all of a sudden we feel a new level of the conviction if we have never given blood. Why is that? It is the discomforting thought of the needle or the occasional story you hear that of someone being very weak after giving blood or even passing out. And perhaps most of us are just that way when it comes to giving blood. Thinking about my friend's daughter also led me to think more about what the Bible says that blood, about blood. Leviticus 17.11 states, For the life of the creature is in the blood. Hundreds of years before Christ, there was a clear awareness of the precious nature of the blood. Without it, life ebbs away. And perhaps this is why God chose to use blood as an essential element of sacrifice and forgiveness. Nothing could create a more powerful impact regarding the seriousness of sin and the price of forgiveness. The New Testament also echoes the critical, these critical insights about blood in Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Our time of communion centers around the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I hope you have noticed that ever since his death on the cross, God has had to make no further appeal for blood donors. No one has ever cried out to God for forgiveness and had him say, No, I'm sorry. We are low on old positive these days. The blood supply at Calvary is more than adequate for the cleansing of every person who places trust in the perfect sacrifice of the Savior. You know, Jesus, he gave blood. He gave his own blood when he died upon Calvary's cross and for the remission of our sins. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we remember the, the sacrifice that you went through, the shedding of your blood. 
And dear Lord, as we come around the table today to take over your emblems, it represents the broken body and the precious shed blood that you shed upon Calvary's cross for each and every one of us. And dear Lord, this is with all our hearts and minds today, remembering what all you went through and the suffering that you've done for each and every one of us. For it's in Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take a few moments just to consider what the shedding of blood did for us. When Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room for the Passover meal, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, passed it among them, saying, This is my body broken for you. Eat ye of it. And likewise the cup, when they had eaten, Jesus blessed it, passed it to them, saying, This is the New Testament in my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Drink of it, all of you. Stand and praise the Lord. called up yonder where are you going to be there there right let's sing about it 556 when the trumpet of
be seated. Brother Mitch, it's all yours. Thank you, Brother Bob. Good morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? I mean, we're privileged to be able to gather together here in the presence of the Lord. And just think, one day that privilege will be fulfilled to the point to where we are literally in his presence, physically in his presence. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to it. (laughs) In fact, the older I get, uh, the more I want it. (laughs) Uh, If if I was to go be with the Lord, I wouldn't have to have knee surgery. (laughs) So if all of a sudden I leave, y'all just shout and praise God because it was a good thing. (laughs) All right. Well, this morning we're continuing on in our uh, study of the book of Mark, and uh, we're finishing out chapter 2 and going to start in the first few verses of chapter 3, speaking on uh, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, So I will read uh, from uh, chapter 2, verse 23, through chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abithar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everybody. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Man, he does a good thing and they want to kill him for it. Uh, Ever have that experience? (laughs) Uh, You know, it it begins with one Sabbath. And then in the next section, it begins another time when Jesus went into the synagogue, which would have been another Sabbath. And so 
you know, they had these laws and these regulations which they had taken the commands of God, the Ten Commandments and the rules in Leviticus, and they had added to it and really they had taken it out of context. They had pushed it to where it was just this legalistic system to where if you don't do what I do and what I say to do or what God says to do, then you're a sinner. You're going to hell. There's no hope for you. Well, Jesus is kind of breaking that barrier. Here he is walking one Sabbath through the green fields because, you know, haven't we all taken a shortcut through somebody's field <laughs> at some point in time in our lives? I know as a kid, uh, sometimes we used to play in a, in a neighbor's cornfield because we uh, couldn't see each other. We was playing hide and seek, you know. Now, we didn't tear up anything. Let me clarify that. <laughs> we didn't knock down any plants or anything. We just went through. Uh, but... Here, Jesus and his disciples are walking through this grain field. Now, the disciples, as they're walking along, this is wheat, more than likely. And you know, the heads grow up at the top, and they have the the wheat there. And they just kind of grabbed a handful as they went. And then they would have taken it in their hands and rubbed it so that the chaff would go out. And then they put it in their mouth and ate it. And the... The law said that you could take like two handfuls out of someone else's grain field, and that was legal. There was nothing wrong with that. The problem is because it's the Sabbath. And they had determined that on the Sabbath that if you begin to harvest, harvesting is work. Work you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. So here there's strictly sticking to that law and saying, hey, what you did was wrong. It's against the law. Why do you let your disciples break the law? Uh, He's supposed to be a rabbi. They never, at this point, the Pharisees never accepted him as the Savior, the Messiah, Messiah. They just looked at him as though he was another strange Rabbi. (laughs) Uh, And that's how they saw him. Very strange. He had different ways than anybody they'd ever seen or met before. So why do you let your disciples do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And then he answered this. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abithar the high priest... He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat, and also gave some to his companions. Now, if you remember in that story, David uh, was running from Saul. And even though he was Saul's son-in-law at the time, uh, he went, and they were leaving, and he went to the Uh, he went to the temple or the synagogue uh, to get not only something for his men to eat because they had to leave suddenly, (laughs) but he also got a weapon there. 
And he gave the reason to the priest that he had to leave on such a hurried mission from the king that he did not have time to get his weapon. He did not have time to get meal and supplies for his men. Now, in the temple, if you remember, there was the showbread that set out, which was symbolic of the bread of life. Who's the bread of life? Who's the bread of life? Jesus. Jesus. Yes, Christ. He is the bread of life. And, you know, uh, this is the bread that is sacred and holy. And only the priests were allowed to eat it. And so the priest, if you remember, he asked David, he said, if you and your men have kept yourselves from women, then you can have this. And they said, yeah, we always do that when we're going out to do the work of the Lord. We always abstain from relations with women. And so the implication is, is that, yes, we have, we have kept ourselves holy and pure. Well, what do the priests do? They keep themselves holy and pure. And therefore, they are allowed to eat this bread. And under those circumstances, and because of the need, folks, this is the main thing behind all of this. Sometimes need overrules the laws, the rules. And that's what Jesus is teaching them. There was a need for my disciples to have something to eat. There was a need for David and his companions to have food, even on the Sabbath, even though otherwise it may be considered illegal. But need, through grace, need is greater than the law. Because grace is greater than the law. And that's what Jesus is trying to make a point to the Pharisees. He wants them to understand that even on the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, we're not to be a slave to the Sabbath. The Sabbath can be used in ways that will glorify God and yet it may not follow the law exactly because circumstances sometimes come up that require you to do something different. For example, many people have to work on Sunday because if they don't, they won't have a job. Now, it's preferable for you to not have to work on Sunday Now, the Sabbath then, but our culture has changed. Times have changed, and we don't like that. We don't care for it. But if you're going to feed your family and feed yourself, you've got to work. Sometimes you're able to change jobs to the point where you can get off on Sunday, but that's not wholly realistic in today's culture. So we have to do what we have to do. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There are times when even though technically you may be breaking the rules, there's grace extended to you because you can't help it. And then he carries on here into chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand 
was there. I mean, you know, his, his hands probably all drawn back and maybe even not all there. We don't know. But some of them, that is the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, folks, this is one of those circumstances where these Pharisees connived and made sure that this man with the shriveled hand was sitting where Jesus could see. Okay? (laughs) This was all an arranged event to make sure that Jesus would see this man and they all wanted to see what he would do. Now, that's evil, folks. I'm sorry. That's just evil. Setting somebody up to put them in a situation. They knew he loved people. They knew that he would want to heal this man. But they also, in their way of thinking, thought that that was against the law. It's just not not permitted to do on the Sabbath. Healing is work. (laughs) So you can't do it. You know... Just to show you, and I'm sure I've shared this before, but just just so you understand how serious to this day they take the, the command not to work on the Sabbath. In Jerusalem, uh, uh, Joe McKay went there one time, and he came back and he told me that on the Sabbath, on Saturday, okay, on the Sabbath, when you go into the motel... There's no meals. There's cold sandwiches that were made the day before. You can eat those. But they don't cook. They don't do anything. In fact, the elevator is programmed to stop on every floor. Why? Because pushing the button is work. (laughs) Now, that's how serious to this day that they take the command of God not to work on the Sabbath. Even pushing a button. Work. <laughs> uh, so we can get carried away if we're not careful. But they watched to see what Jesus would do. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, we, we would think of that in terms of the, we'd have the man come down there or up here. But in the time that this was taking place, the, the room would have been in a circle or a semicircle and there were Benches that were made in the wall of concrete. Benches to sit on. So when they said come out in the center, he actually meant in the center of the room where everybody was circular or semicircular. So he would have been standing right in the middle of everyone instead of necessarily up in front of everyone. He was in the middle of everyone. And so... He has him stand up, and then Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do, good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, folks, when you think about it, when you're asked that kind of question, the answer is obvious, right? I mean, now, these Pharisees, though, they would have been stumped because to them, it doesn't matter if you break the law to save life You still broke the law. You're still wrong. But Jesus is saying, hey, wait, there's exceptions, folks. There's exceptions. He's not excusing uh, bad behavior and just missing uh, church and doing things just for no reason. He's not saying that. What he's saying is there are 
appropriate reasons to extend love and grace over the law. Always love and grace over the law. That's what Jesus always did. And it says they remain silent. Why? Because if they answered one way or the other, they're still putting themselves in a trap, in a mess. Jesus has them cornered. If they say it's okay to do good, it's, okay, it's good to, do, to save life, then they just approved of doing this work. If they say no, well, then everybody's going to be angry at them. <laughs> you know, it's okay to do evil on the Sabbath. Right, really? He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Why was he angry? Why was he upset about their stubborn hearts? Well, because of what I just said. They refused to accept that it's okay to show love and grace over the law. They refused to accept that Jesus was making logical sense and that he had the right to do what he was about to do. They did not want to admit that. Have you ever met anybody that refused to admit that what they did was wrong even though they got caught and everybody knows it? Uh, Been there, done that. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, uh, this is... This is why Jesus is up to Jesus come to save these people. But if you're too stubborn to even admit that love and grace overrides the law, what hope is there? What hope is there? If you're just going to strictly stick to the law, which we know can save no one. And they just didn't quite catch that yet. And so... He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he, com- he was completely restored as he stretched it out. Amen. Lord to God. Hallelujah. Uh, here's a miracle, folks. A miracle. And they're upset about it. I mean, come on. If you had a friend or a family member, a loved one, who had had some physical ailment for years and years and years and couldn't do what everybody else does and you had to do so much to help them and then all of a sudden they're restored and you're going to be upset because it happened on the, on the Sabbath? Uh, I don't think so. You're going to rejoice. You're going to jump up and down. Hey, I don't have to do this for him anymore. I don't have to do this for her anymore. She can do it on her own. <laughs> I mean, that's not the whole reason, I know, but still... The point is that we would, out of love, be happy to see them become whole. You know, it's no different when somebody goes to the doctor and the doctor tells them, well, you know, in the x-ray we found a mass and we need to explore. And automatically we're just like, oh, wow. Uh, What is it? How bad is it? What's going to be the result of it but then you go back and take another look and they say well it was just uh air or something trapped it's gone it's not there anymore (laughs) and the relief you feel and you're so happy you're so happy 
You know, it's, 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 it's God. It's God. We often want to say, well, they just made a mistake. But if you prayed in between, I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was a miracle. They both start with them, but one's accurate and the other's not. <laughs> and so, you know, the man reached, stretched out his hand and was healed. Now, what was the attitude of the Pharisees and the Herodians? They went out and began to plot together how they might kill Jesus. Man. Now, Jesus said, just ask him, is it better to do good or evil <laughs> to, uh, to help life or to kill, to save life or to kill? And here they start planning to murder him. That's both evil and murder. <laughs> the very things. And not only that, but according to the law that they say they're holding up, both of those things are a sin. We often trap ourselves if we're not careful. We trap ourselves by not being graceful, by not extending love. I've done this many, many times. I get caught up in thinking I'm right when I'm wrong. And just because you're right doesn't mean that it's okay to tell everybody else and show everybody else you're right. That's not humility. Humility, I've recently learned, <laughs> is when you know you're right, but you still have to be graceful. You still have to extend mercy and grace to others, even though you may be right. Jesus didn't love just those who loved him, did he? Because if he did, I'd be dead. Because there was a time in my life when I did not love Jesus. I didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. <laughs> I was doing drugs, chasing women. I didn't want nothing about Jesus around me because every time somebody mentioned it, I felt guilty. <laughs> I want nothing to do with that. That conviction is just heavy, you know. Didn't want it. But Jesus loved me anyway. Jesus Humbly. Now, think about that. This is the God of the universe who showed the humbleness to come and to die for our sins, even though we didn't want anything to do with him, even though many don't even know who he is. Many deny that he exists, but he still died for us anyway. I wonder... Do we extend that kind of love and that kind of grace? That's what he was showing in this lesson. He was showing them that grace and love is more important than keeping the law. Keeping the law is important, but there are mitigating circumstances that cause sometimes for grace and love to be extended beyond the letter of the law. Do we live that way? Do we get stuck in legalism saying so-and-so did such and such and, and that's wrong without looking in the mirror and realizing, oh, yeah, I did that before too. So I was wrong too. So uh, we're equal. 
You know, at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. Come on up. At the foot of the cross, everybody is equal. We're all sinners. <laughs> we're all sinners at the foot of the cross. We all need to come to Jesus. We all need to be cleansed by that blood that Brother Mike talked about this morning. We all need that, that washing of the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of every stain. You know, here's something that I've learned over the few years that I've been in the ministry. And that is that people often allow Satan to convince them that they're still guilty of some sin that they committed a long time ago, even though Jesus has forgiven them. That's evil, folks. To make you feel guilty, to make you feel trapped, like there's nothing. You're not good enough and you never can be. Well, that's a true statement. <laughs> We're not good enough and we never will be. But Jesus is. And through his blood, through his presence of the Holy Spirit in us, he made us righteous by taking on our evil, taking on our sin. It's like a vacuum, a sin vacuum. They just sucked it right out of us. And he took it and spit it out in hell. It never to be held against us again. We need to realize that those old sins are gone. They're dealt with. Now, we also need to be aware that if the devil tries to suck us back into it, we can't allow ourselves to go back into that way of thinking, that lifestyle before we were cleansed. Because that's a place of comfort. Often, when you become a new Christian, especially, you know, I was talking to Evan about this yesterday. You think about all the years that you spent living your life a certain way. And then all of a sudden, Jesus changes it all. But the devil keeps saying, well, you remember how comfortable you were when you did this, how much you enjoyed that. And we have to resist. But the good thing is, is that the more we resist, the easier it becomes. So, how are we doing extending grace over the letter of the law? How are we doing showing the love of God? Not just to one another in here, but to all people. Do we see someone who's dirty and nasty looking walking on the street and think, ew? Or do we realize they're created in the image of God? God loves them the same as he loves me. And they need help to become more Christ-like. Instead of us acting less Christ-like by judging them. Jesus will come as the judge. But the first time he said plainly, I did not come to judge the world. But to show love and to save the world. That is our pattern to follow. How are we doing? If you have a need, just mind the Lord and come as we sing. Brother Bob. Our invitation hymn this morning is uh, number 382, Glory to His Name. Let's stand and sing.
be seated. We've gone over the uh, past couple, three years. We have. And there's one person and his wife who pushed most of those things to get them done. Mm -hmm. And we're grateful. Yes, we are. Brother Mitch, would you send us home on that? Whoops. Okay. She told us something. Well, do you feel like you've been to church? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your presence here with us. Thank you for your word that guides and instructs and teaches us. Lord, help us to study the word, not just on Sunday, but every day. And let you speak to us. Let you speak directly to our heart and tell us what you expect. And then, Lord, give us, give us the strength to stand up and to do it. And when the devil comes to try to stop us from doing it, give us the strength to tell him to go back to hell where he belongs Amen. and to follow you. Lord, I pray that you will bless the time in the ballparks and the other meeting places this afternoon. The time of prayer will be of honor to you and will cause revival to break out. Lord, help us to live the way that you would have us to live and to love the way you would have us to love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.